And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Home of the gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's March the 3rd, 62nd day of the year. 303 days remain till the year's over with. You know, everybody's always urging me to mention the various holidays. So today is Global Day of Unplugging. Cut off your cell phone. Unplug your computer. After you listen to my show, of course. Then uh, it's Overseas NHS National Health Service Workers Day. National I Want You to Be Happy Day. World Wildlife Day. National Canadian Bacon Day. International Irish Whiskey Day. National Mauled Wine Day. National Employee Appreciation Day. National Dress in Blue Day. National Cold Cuts Day. National Salesperson Day. What if cats and dogs had opposable thumb day? Now that's a winner, folks. National Anthem Day. Jewish Book Week. Endometriosis Awareness Week. Cheerleading Week. Will Eisner Week. Write a Letter Appreciation Week. Universal Human Beings Week. Fair Trade Fortnite. Cornish Pastry Week. Peace Corps Week. Telecommuter Appreciation Week. National Nutrition Month. National Women's History Month. National Hemophilia Awareness Month. Multiple Sclerosis Awareness Month. National Social Work Month. National Small Press Month. National Kidney Month. National Peanut Month. In honor of the peanut man himself, Jimmy Carter. National Craft Month. You know, I, I knew him slightly. And I read a lot of things that the Secret Service said he was cold and insulting. That doesn't give you the half of it. Even his own mother, when asked if she'd do anything different in her life, what would she do? And she said, I'll remain a virgin. International Ideas Month. National Caffeine Awareness Month. Endometriosis Awareness Month. Rising Star Month. National Credit Education Month. National Cheerleading Safety Month. When they throw you in the air, flapping your arms doesn't help. National Umbrella Month and National Music in Our Schools Month. Alrighty, let's see. As I said, this is the third. In 473, Gundabad, nephew of Rasimir, nominates Glacirius as emperor of the Western Roman Empire. The empire became so big, it divided it into two. Eastern, which became the Byzantine Empire, with its capital in Constantinople, and Western, which was the Roman Empire, uh, with Rome as its uh, capital. 724, Empress Jinsho abdicates the throne in favor of her nephew, Shomu, who becomes emperor of Japan. 1575, Mughal Emperor Akbar defeats Sultan of Bengal Daud Khan Karani's army at the Battle of Tukaroy. 1776, American Revolutionary War. 
First amphibious landing of the U.S. Marine Corps begins the Battle of Nassau. 1779, the Continental Army is routed at the Battle of Briar Creek near Savannah, Georgia. 1779, the Russo-Ottoman Siege of Corfu ends with the surrender of the French garrison. 1820, Congress passes the Missouri Compromise on this date. Also in 1845, Florida is admitted as the 27th U.S. state. 1849, the Territory of Minnesota is created. 1857, the Second Opium War. France and the U.K. declare war on China. 1861, Alexander II of Russia signs the Emancipation Manifesto, freeing all the serfs. Of course, they didn't have jobs or homes or a place to uh, live or anything to eat, but they were free. 1873, Congress enacts the Comstock Law, making it illegal to send any obscene literature or articles immoral used through the mail. Who defines what's immoral? The elite in Washington. 1875, the first ever organized indoor game of ice hockey is played in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, as recorded in the Montreal Gazette. 1878, the Russo-Turkish War ends with Bulgaria regaining its independence from the Ottoman Empire, according to the Treaty of San Stefano. 1891, the Shoshone National Forest is established as the first national forest in the U.S. and in the world. 1910, John D. Rockefeller Jr. on this date announces his retirement from managing his businesses so he can devote all his time to philanthropy. That's easy for a wealthy man to take that position when he doesn't have to work for a living. 1913, thousands of women march in the women's suffrage procession in Washington, D.C. 1918, this is after the uh, the slaughter of the Romanov family. Russia signs a treaty of Brest-Litovsk, agreeing to withdraw from World War I, uh, conceding German control of the Baltic states, uh, Belarus and Ukraine. It also conceded Turkish control of Ardahan, Kars, and Batumi. 1924, the 407-year-old Islamic Caliphate is abolished when Caliph Abdulmesid II of the Ottoman Caliphate is deposed. The last remnant of the old regime gives way to the reformed uh, Turkey of Kemal Ataturk. 1924, free state of Fium is annexed by the Kingdom of Italy. On this day in 1931, the U.S. adopted the Star Spangled Banner as its national anthem. This date in 1938, oil was discovered in Saudi Arabia. And the Rolls Royce market went through the roof. 1939, in Bombay, Mohandas Gandhi begins a hunger strike in protest of the autocratic rule in British India. 1940, five people were killed in an arson attack on the offices of the communist newspaper Flamen in Lille, Sweden. 1942, World War II, ten Japanese warplanes raid 
brew in Western Australia, killing more than 100 people. 1943 in London, 173 people were killed in a crush while trying to enter an air raid shelter at Bethnal Green tube station. 1944, the order of uh, Nekomov and the order of Shukov are instituted in the USSR as the highest naval awards. 1944, freight train carrying stowaway passengers stalls on a tunnel shortly after leaving Bovano Basilicata, Italy, just uh, after midnight. 517 people die from carbon monoxide poisoning in that tunnel. Ninety forty-five. Due to poor visibility, the RAF mistakenly bombs the Vezudinout area of the Hague in the Netherlands, killing 511 people. 1953, the Havilland Comet, that's a Canadian Pacific Airlines, crashes in the Karachi, Pakistan, killing an 11. 1958, Nuri al-Said becomes Prime Minister of Iraq for the eighth time. 1969, the Apollo mission, NASA launches Apollo 9 to test the lunar module. 1972, Mohawk Airlines Flight 409 crashes, excuse me, 405 crashes as a result of control malfunction and insufficient training of the crew in emergency procedures. 1980, USS Nautilus is decommissioned and taken off the naval vessel register. In 1985, Arthur Scargill declares the National Union of Mine Workers nationally executive voted to end the longest-running industrial dispute in Great Britain without any peace deal over pit closures. 1986, the Australia Act of 86 commences, causing Australia to become fully independent from the UK. 1991, when cell phones became the bane of law enforcement. Amateur video captured the beating of Rodney King by Los Angeles police officers. 1991. Also on that same date, United Airlines Flight 585 crashes on its final approach to Colorado Springs, killing everybody on board. 2005, James Rusco. Murders four were all Canadian mounted police constables during a drug bust at his property in Roquefort Bridge, Alberta. And he commits suicide. This is the deadliest peacetime incident for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police since, 19, since 1885 and the Northwest Rebellion. 2005, Steve Fawcett becomes the first person to fly an airplane around nonstop around the world solo without refueling. And, of course, we're not going to the bathroom or anything else, for that matter. 2013, a bomb blast in Karachi, Pakistan, kills at least 45, injures 180 others in a predominantly Shia Muslim area. And in 2017, a Nintendo Switch releases worldwide. And gaming will never be the same. Well, yesterday, we talked about... Um, the real world of the worlds we talked about the Battle of Los Angeles 
you know, the those on the ground were adamant that there was something in the air over in Los Angeles. The powers that be in uh, D.C. swore it was war nerves. Everybody made it up. Problem is, there were photographs. They were never explained. Now, <clears throat> according to uh, Dirk Vanderploeg, who was a reporter, you know, a number of the witnesses reported what looked like a blimp flying over the city, but it was silver, whatever it was. Japanese didn't use blimps or dirigibles of any type that we know of. And others. Well, millions of observers reported an unidentified object over Los Angeles. But there were no reports of a conventional aircraft even though several officials reported seeing a flight of 25 craft flying in formation. Others reported seeing flares falling from the sky. Now, none were dropped or shot into the air by the California defenders. Another reporter wrote that observers reported lighted objects, which were very described as red and white flares in groups of three red and three white, fired alternately or chain-like strings of red lights, looking like an illuminated kite. Something was in the air over L.A., in spite of what the Secretary of uh, the Navy reported, who was doing everything he could to keep a lid on this. You know, most descriptions of the Battle of Los Angeles overlook the fact the Metropolitan Area had been put on alert at 7.18 p.m. February 24th, the night before the shooting started. And the blackout was imposed when early wardens reported strange blinking lights and flares in the sky nosing around the city's defense plants. Now, the presence of such Unaccountable objects in the immediate vicinity of America's weapons-producing infrastructure was similar to um, encounters at the DuPont Munitions Plant in 1916. It also foreshadowed their reappearance over atomic bomb facilities from the close of World War II until now. Many sightings from numerous civilian, military, and professional observers were at odds with official explanations of weather balloons and Meteorological conditions or just plain ordinary war nerves. One uh, angry editorial on the front page of the LA Times took such unconvincing interpretations to task. The editorial said, according to the Associated Press, Secretary Knox intimated that reports of enemy activity in the Pacific Coast region might be largely due to jittery nerves. You know, the question is, Mr. Knox, whose nerves? The public's or the Army's? It seems to the Times that the more specific public information be forthcoming from government sources on the subject 
if only to clarify their own conflicting statements about it. In other Southern California newspapers were similarly confused. According to the Long Beach Independent, there's a mysterious reticence about the whole affair, and it appears that some form of censorship is trying to halt discussion on the matter. And although it was red-hot news, not a single national radio commentator gave it more than a passing mention. This is the kind of reticence that's making the American people gravely suspect the motives and the confidence of those whom they've charged with the conduct of the war. And I wholeheartedly agree. Let's look at what was done with um, Hunter Biden's uh, laptop from hell. Right up until his own attorney said it was his, CNN and all the other liberal left mainstream media screamed to the heavens that Hunter Biden knew nothing about it. Now they're left with egg on their face. But of course, you know, the public will forgive and forget and go back to believing everything they say. Even the New York Times expressed a belief that the more the incident was studied, the more incredible it became. February 28th editorial uh, pontificated that the batteries were firing at nothing at all, as Secretary Knox implies. It's a sign of expensive incompetence and jitters. If the batteries are found on real planes, some of them as low as 9,000 feet, as Secretary Stimson declared. Why were they completely ineffective? And why, oh why, did no American planes go up to engage them, or even to try to identify them? Prompted by the, the growing controversy to call for congressional investigation of the Battle of Los Angeles, Representative Leland Ford of Santa Monica declared none of the explanations so far offered removed the episode from the category complete mystification. This was either a practice raid or a raid to throw a scare into two million people or a mistaken identity raid or a raid to lay a political foundation to take away Southern California's war industries. Whatever might be the case, he couldn't accept federal public relations attempts at uh, explaining away the February 25th event as a false alert. Later on that same day, LA Times published a large photograph taken by one of its own reporters during the height of the battle. As searchlights converged on and illuminated something entirely unlike any warplane known in the world at that time. Over at 9,000 feet with no wings, no tail, no fuselage or propeller, it resembled a bowl topped by another inverted dish and joined at the rims, surmounted by an upside-down cup with flak bursting harmlessly around the, the craft. Newspaper caption uh, read, uh, Seeking Out Object. It was called an object, not an aircraft or balloon, because the caption writer couldn't identify what it was. Scores of searchlight built a wigwam of light beams over Los Angeles early yesterday morning during the alarm. This picture was taken during blackout. Shows nine beams converging on an object in the sky in Culver City. Bombs of light, which show an apex of uh, beam angles, uh, were made of by uh, an aircraft shells. According to one writer, the object was clearly locked in the focus of dozens of searchlights for well over half an hour. Seen by hundreds of thousands of people. But according to Secretary Knox, it was just war nerves. 
It resembled nothing if not a stereotypical vehicle that, starting years after the war, was associated with extraterrestrial visitations. When this particular image was taken, no one so much as considered a non-earthly identity for the sighting. It has since been seized upon by ufologists as photographic proof of a flying saucer from outer space. According to Wikipedia, some ufologists and conspiracy theorists assert that the photo was heavily modified by photo retouching prior to publication. That was a routine practice in graphic arts at the time intended to remove, improve contrast in black and white photos. Now, what Wikipedia didn't do was explain why a newspaper graphic artist in early 1942, other than trying to improve contrast in a black-and-white shot, would have modified it by photo-retouching so as to depict a characteristic UFO in an area in an era when such things were unknown to the vast majority of Americans. Well, according to Bruce McAbee, who obtained a print made uh, directly from the original unretouched negative of the L.A. Times photograph. There was a lot to be gained from that photograph if it was studied properly. He worked uh, on optical data processing, um, generation of under, uh, underwater sound with lasers, um, and various aspects of the Strategic Defense Initiative and Ballistic Missile Defense uh, using high-powered lasers. And as such, he was eminently qualified to assess the controversial image. And he said the fact that the beams of the searchlights don't get past the object, whatever was at the beam convergence must have been uh, optically quite dense. The beams are quite bright before they reach the object, and zero and nearly zero afterwards. It's how much optical density of smoke this requires, I don't know. Certainly a solid uh, metallic object would be sufficient to block the beams. And how large is the object? I'd hazard a guess that the width of this illuminated object is on the order of a hundred feet or more. In other words, it was a large craft. Another photo analyst by the name of Stephen Lacey, that was uh, able to clear up the image into something that clearly showed a classic saucer-shaped craft right in the center where all the searchlights were aimed. He said, I enlarged the picture. I got the hiccups. I adjusted the brightness and contrast using the level tool. The picture clearly showed a saucer-shaped craft. Not a Japanese zero. In George C. Marshall's statement, he said it was learned by Army G-2 that Rear Admiral Anderson recovered an unidentified airplane off the coast of California, but no bearing on conventional explanation. Now, the real admiral he mentioned in his statement was Walter Stratton Anderson. He was indeed the senior commander of U.S. Navy operations in the waters off Southern California during the Battle of Los Angeles. And uh, one uh, anthropology professor at California's Occidental College remarked on a popular speculation during the days that followed. He said the rumor is that it, the unidentified airplane, finally crashed in the waters recovered by Navy divers. So maybe it was hit, maybe it was damaged, and it crashed. 
And if that's the case, U.S. government got its second off-the-world uh, vehicle in less than a year. Now, as a retired anthropology professor, his name is Littleton, by the way, submitted the object he and his uh, parents saw in 1942 to the same time scientific rigor used when teaching his students. He said, by a process of elimination, the most efficient explanation is that it was what we would call today a UFO, something not of this world, something that belonged in, to another technology. If that's true, then the event's one of the largest UFO sightings in history. Well over a million people saw it. And 1,500 anti-aircraft rounds were shot at it. Well, an American veteran of the Normandy invasion on D-Day talked about his uh, service on board a B-17 heavy bomber with 13,000 Allied warplanes operated during, uh, against the European continent by the U.S. Uh, 8th Air Force before the landings got underway at D-Day. According to a story told by this veteran, the target of his uh, bomber was a railroad depot. He said, I was the right side of West Gunner looking inside of our formation before we left on our raid. About 10 minutes after we crossed the coast, that was about 1 o'clock in the morning, there was one of our fighter pilot escorts over the radio call out bandits, 6 o'clock high and low. And he said, now after I heard this, I went to uh, cock my weapon. But it jammed. I tried my best to clear it. Everything appeared normal, but it, it remained uh, inoperative. Just then, the waste gunner saw the bandits approaching, but they didn't re resemble any fighter planes he'd ever seen. The luminous spears borne on national insignia and their intentions were hardly less uh, uncertain. One of the objects appeared uh, in between our formation. I went to cock my weapon again. He said, it's jamming coincided with the failure of electrical systems aboard the aircraft as the radio went dead and our number four engine stalled out. Unable to communicate and losing power, the defense of this flying fortress couldn't keep up with the formation and dropped out of place to become an easy target for any enemy, any enemy interceptors that might be out there. Well, according to the story, as a mysteriously stricken B-17 fell behind, the object sped off as at exceptionally high speed. Fifteen minutes later, the uh, the waste gunner's 50 caliber Browning unjammed itself. Radio communications came back, and the previously dead right cyclone engine came back to life. Shaken crew had met with a Foo Fighter, one of the pink elephants that uh, General Carl Spaz, U.S. Air Force Chief of Staff, uh, mentioned in order to laugh off these encounters as uh, imaginary nonsense. According to Spaz, I've also known men who've seen pink elephants in response to the reports of these, what became known as Foo Fighters. But far too many of his airmen experienced similar encounters. 
found these confrontations no laughing matter. Foo Fighter was a pun on foo, the French word for fire, as it derived from the then popular Smokey Stover comic strip. The phrase was, where there was foo, there's fire. Uh, the term was colloquially applied by U.S. Army Air Force flight crews to unknown metallic spears and discs and lights and boomerangs, cigar shapes, or fireballs that uh, mostly escorted and sometimes buzzed, occasionally threatened and frequently skirmished with Allied airmen. Evidently, the D-Day heavy bomber had been singled out for an electromagnetic attack by the spherical intruders. Didn't affect any of the other bombers at all. But its uh, airmen were more fortunate. Their comrades bought another B-17 the previous year. It was September 6, 1943. Their mission was to raid Stuttgart. The 384th group found itself proceeding between 2,000 and 3,000 feet beneath and a little behind maybe five Luftwaffe aircraft uh, that were heading in the same direction. And before any engagement could occur, a cluster composed of small round objects, silvery in color, simply fell out of the sky as witnessed by two different American crews. As to its shape, it was a mass of material, kept a good pattern, didn't dissipate as it streamed down and fell comparatively low. In one instance, the cluster appeared to be about eight feet in length, about four feet wide as it streaked down. The other observation stated it was... Um, about 75 feet long and 20 feet wide. Now those dimensions in length between being the size from uh, top to bottom as it fell. There didn't seem to be any connection between the Now from all reports it was clear whatever this mass was it didn't come from the German interceptors. It came from above the aircraft. It came out of what would appear to be a clear sky. And in all instances, the objects fell in the path of the aircraft. Some was observed to fall on the wing of a B-17 belonging to the group. And that wing immediately began to burn. And in the flying fortress, dropped like a rock. The uh, It's ten crew members who were killed in the crash were the first human fatalities in the 20th century's War of the Worlds. Now, lethal attacks by UFOs and Allied or Axis warplanes were rare. More typically, pilots and crews on both sides of the, the war were approached in flight by the Foo Fighters, which kept pace with the warplanes, often despite extreme evasive maneuvers, for vanishing away at high speeds. Now, these encounters are by no means dubious tales brought on by battle fatigue, fear, disorientation, altitude sickness, weather conditions, misidentification of conventional aircraft, or any kind of enemy secret weapon. These presumed causes were more often used by Air Force brass to explain away rather than actually explain what their men were encountering. Many hundreds reported remarkably similar experiences in all combat theaters, the majority occurring in the last two years of the war. And how many more Air Force witnesses were never reported what they saw for fear of losing their fright privileges, even being uh, classified as uh, Section 8? They were nuts. You say nothing ridicule from fellow flyers, 
uh, is not something we can ascertain. While well, B-17 crews were encountering Foo Fighters over Europe, their communist allies 1,800 miles away in the east were seeing the same kinds of inexplicable aircraft. July 4th, 1943, just as the pivotal battle of Kursk was about to commence, a huge silvery disc hovered over the opposing forces, but didn't intervene in the fighting and vanished after a few minutes. Soviet high command was sure it was one of Hitler's secret weapons, according to Russian-born Paul Stonehill, an expert on Soviet affairs. And although no photographs of it survived, a drawing of the object was made, and several Soviet colonels who later took part in the battle signed off on it that it was accurate. August 26, three days after the battle, Red Army Senior Lieutenant Gennady Zelaganov reported having seen a sickle-shaped craft that fly at extraordinary speed, far faster than any Russian or German warplane, over an area of curse targeted by his artillery. And before it vanished to the north-southwest, he noticed a boomerang-like vehicle's dark blue overall with a bright orange center section. You gotta admire their paint jobs. More typical was a sighting made over Poland by Lev Petrovich, a visker, a bombardier navigator of a Petlakov PE-2 medium bomber. November 1944, he, the pilot, and the rear observed an immense, excessively bright object pass slowly over a frontline Soviet airfield near Warsaw. It was flying at about 1,600 feet. On the ground, Red Army Lieutenant Colonel A. Kolhuk um, observed that the... 500-foot-long craft, roughly resembled, moved like a dirigible, although it didn't make a sound and lacked any fins. Outboard engines, propellers, gondolas, portholes, guy wires, insignia, or any external details of any kind. According to Stonehill, air defense units fired on it with cannons and machine guns to no effect. As the uniformly dark apparition gradually disappeared over the northern horizon. The encounter was authoritatively documented by retired Soviet Army Colonel German Kolchin in a 2000 issue of New Literary Observer, the oldest Russian independent magazine specializing in philology, cultural history, and historical anthropology. Now, like their British and American comrades, the Russians never gave a thought to extraterrestrial possibilities, but consistently referred to these vehicles as German disc. Kent Courtney shared their conclusions while ferrying a transport plane from uh, Brazil to Morocco uh, in February 1943 at 10,000 feet over the South Atlantic. Several lights flew at him head-on, narrowly avoiding a collision, and then turned back to buzz his aircraft before speeding away into the night. After landing safely in Casablanca, he made his report, and he said, We were advised by the Army and Air Force to keep it to ourselves. He was a... Uh, former United States Army Air, um, Air Corps, or about 1947, Air Force captain. The official view of the Air Force was to quell the investigation to stop it cold. And he said he had talked to numerous World War II pilots who had had encounters with UFOs, and almost to a man they were told to keep it to themselves. Harry Cowell, a United States Army Air Force fighter pilot stationed in France and uh, was Army Air Corps at that point in time, 
said the boys were afraid to be grounded if they reported the light, so they kept it to themselves. He recalled three years later in an interview with Seattle Daily Times by the, that the following night another crew saw the same thing and reported it. After that, all the crews in the squadron, with the exception of two, had the same experience. Night fighter crews in the squadron, to which Kyle was attached, reported seeing the strange lights while flying over the Rhine Valley. So many sightings and repeated uh, commonalities constitute uh, powerful proof of the reality of the phenomena. Skeptics may de uh, deprecate uh, the uh, value of these observations, but they forget that eyewitness testimony, particularly if it's consistent offered by people unknown to each other, is admissible in the court of law as corroborative evidence. He went on to describe something more like a sighting, his, uh, more than a sighting his squadron experienced. He said the first crew to see him noticed that the light seemed to be flying right with the airplane. The airplane in this particular night was a Northrop P-61 Black Widow night fighter. The boys didn't know what they were and tried evasive action, but the light seemed to stay right with them. Finally, one of the boys decided to shoot at one of the lights, see what would happen, and he blasted away with uh, four 20-millimeter Hispano cannons plus another uh, quarter of uh, 50 caliber Browning machine guns fired from an upper turret. He said there were uh, there was an explosion that rocked the plane and bent the plexiglass dome. There was no report on what happened after that. Uh, if the uh, the Foo Fighters left or retaliated or stayed with them, similar similar confrontation took place the night of August tenth and eleventh that same year on the other side of the world, but with different results. First officer Russell Watson was piloting the B twenty nine Super Fortress. Number 6362. On its return flight from combined range with the 20th Air Force on the Plateau Oil Refinery at Palembang in Sumatra. In his report to the 20th Bomber Command's Air Intelligence Section, he noted his, uh, his and several bomber crews observed what they believed was a bizarre and confusing type of new weapon. One aircraft was under continuous attack for an hour and ten minutes, beginning ten minutes after leaving the target area. Reddish-orange balls about the size of baseballs suddenly appeared out of nowhere on the starboard beam. A momentary flash or trail about six issues long preceded the red ball effect, and this was followed immediately by an explosion. The balls appeared to break up into four or five fragments that flew in all directions and appeared in fours and threes and twos and singly, but never more than four appeared at one time. That was usually uh, about an interval of about ten seconds between volleys. Crews estimated they observed a total of 250 to 300 separate bursts during the attack. And the explosions were always off the right beam, never closer than 400 yards, never further away than 700 yards, and always accurate as to altitude. The aircraft was flying at 16,000 feet over an undercast at, uh, that was at 10,000 feet, varying from uh, five-tenths to a mile. Lateral visibility was estimated at uh, 30 miles, except for occasional scattered clouds, but no enemy aircraft were ever seen. There was no ground flashes observed when the ground was visible. Bursts weren't observed when the aircraft flew through clouds, but reappeared when the clouds had passed. One occasion, of course, was altered sufficiently to allow tail gunners to bear in the direction of the burst, but a 20-millimeter and 50-cal fire from the B-29 had no visible effect. Interestingly enough, the B-29 itself was not damaged. 
Now, this was not the only occurrence of alien pursuit in the Pacific. November 3rd, 1944, North American Mitchell B-25 medium bombers flew out of their 10th Air Force base in Burma to raid targets in Japanese-occupied China. While attacking bridge approaches at Hinsuai and Namkai and Kwangai, the B-25s were set up on by an undetermined number of glittering objects that buzzed and circled all, around, all nine aircraft, which experienced complete instrument failure and progressive loss of power in the engines. These Foo Fighters maneuvered so erratically at such high speeds the gunners were unable to track them, much less get off a single shot at them. Only after the objects broke off the action with the bombers, electrical systems, and full engine uh, RPMs restored. Now, some of the most compelling armed forces encounters with off-world craft during the Pacific Campaign was experienced by officers and men aboard vessels of the U.S. Navy. Extraordinary insistence... Uh, well, instance occurred early in the conflict as an invasion fleet assembled along the Solomon, among the Solomon Islands east of Papua New Guinea for America's first counteroffensive of the war. Scheduled to begin on August 7, 1942. Two days before, at 10 a.m., men, as men aboard the USS Helm are readying their destroyer for operation in the watchtower, Lookout sounded the alert to an unidentified aircraft rapidly approaching between 3,000 and 4,000 feet in a clear cloud this sky. The craft was spotted through a pair of 750-power field binoculars by a security detail observer who determined that the 90-foot-wide bogey was a silver cigar shape topped by a round dome. According to Keith Chester, both the captain and executive officer had a good look, and they confirmed it had the appearance of a Streamlined cigar with portholes along the dome. When it approached within 300 yards, the helms on aircraft gunners commenced firing, to no effect. When three nearby cruisers and seven destroyers joined in the shooting, the object executed a sharp turn, increased its speed, and proceeded to circle once around the entire fleet. That's basically known as the thumb-your-nose maneuver. With this, every gun in the task force opened up on the object. One veteran of the encounter recalled uh, how directional control released all guns and said for the gun captains to go local control. That was free fire, don't you know? And although the fire control director could keep up with him, the the bogey, the gunners weren't able to take enough lead out of their machines to allow us to swing far enough uh, head to hit him. So we just swung wild and started throwing shells in uh, and firing with the 50s and whatever else available to try and get at least one hit. With so many explosions near, we couldn't tell where we were, where we were shooting or anybody else, so there was just no way really of getting a crack at him. Director of Fire Control insisted the intruder had reached speeds of 1,000 miles an hour during this encounter. Now, the craft passed undamaged through this massive concentration of firepower uh, that was spewed upward by the entire invasion armada then vanished in an incredible display of speed. And because of its thousands of eyewitness participants, the August 5, 1942 incident was perhaps the best attested UFO sighting of World War II. Now, with an entire task force uh, having failed, carrier planes of USS Wasp fared no better. During the early afternoon of February 7, 1945, while the warship cruised off the Ulithi Atoll of on the, in the Carolina Islands, Commander Norman Stark was informed of rapidly incoming radar contact at 30,000 feet, 10 miles west. 
He immediately launched five Grumman F6F Hellcats, but the fighter's top speed of 391 miles an hour was un- inadequate to intercept this uh, supersonic bogey. Another similar event occurred at uh, Ulithi four months later. Lookouts aboard the SS Calvin Victory, cruising uh, 16 knots on a westerly course from Iniwetok, an atoll in the Marshall Islands, pointed out uh, several objects directly overhead at about 2 p.m. On the bridge at that point in time was Captain Wesley Brown, who, after observing through a 50 by 7 binocular that the uh, contact was bright silver, circular in shape, ordered the, fire, uh, the freighter's bow mounted 50 caliber machine gun and eight 20 millimeter cannons to open fire. But then uh, gun crews had visually sighted in on the target at an estimated altitude of 4,000 feet. And although the craft held position directly above the vessel and did not take any evasive action, the crew fired 8 to 10 shots with no observable effect. Because of the ineffectiveness of his gunners, as well as the object's apparent lack of interest in carrying out an attack, Brown ordered the firing to be stopped. Meanwhile, as recorded in the ship's log, the craft kept pace high above the Calvin victory for the remainder of the afternoon. It disappeared only as not darkness fell. And after the war, Brown became the head of the Police Science and Administrative Department of Northern Arizona University and wrote his... Uh, about his South Pacific encounter to the renowned ufologist J. Allen Heineck in 1974. First documented sighting of USOs, unidentified submersible objects, was made by American service personnel during World War II. During the night of October 12, 1943, Seaman Matthew Mangle was keeping watch aboard a U.S. Navy supply ship in the Persian Gulf when he saw a huge disk beneath the surface of the water glowing with a soft green light as it paced the ship at 12 knots. Then it sped up and moved out of the night, uh, moved out of sight. From January twenty sixth to thirty first, nineteen forty five, the USS McCracken cruised between the Solomon Islands. Louis uh, Grassi and four other sailors watched as their troop ship almost passed directly over a submerged round object lying still at the shallow depths. Sharply outlined, it was the size of a gun turret about twenty feet across with a dull silvery finish. Grassi and his mates remained from reporting their sighting at the time, dismissing as a monster sea turtle. Second World War's outstanding USO experience took place in mid-1945. U.S. Army attack uh, transport ship was wallowing through 10-degree uh, rolls amid heavy seas and strong winds in the open uh, ocean past the Aleutian Island of Arak on a return voyage to Seattle. The overburdened USS Delaroff had been hauling munitions and supplies during early summer from Washington State to Alaska. Near dusk one early summer evening, several crewmen yelled out suddenly at the sight of a strange large uh, vehicle shooting into the air from underwater. Private Robert Crawford was on the port side near the communications room where he was one of the radio operators when he uh, heard the commotion. saw a large, peculiar vehicle sending roughly um, vertically upward a quarter or two miles uh, away in the west. It stood out uh, dark and round against the setting sun, rising to an angular elevation of five degrees before arcing into a level circular path. Crawford could clearly see that the featureless disk without insignia or portholes was about 150 to 200 feet in diameter as it silently circled the transport at about the speed of a small airplane, maybe a hundred miles an hour. 
no more than 500 feet above the rough sea. Low speed and altitude afforded a clear view of the craft as it uh, flew in a leisurely circular pattern overhead, presenting itself as an easy target for the ship's gunners. Although they were ready to pull the trigger at the mere suggestion of an attack, they held their fire in their breath. Completing a third leisurely circuit of the Delaroff, the object departed uh, to the south-southwest. Clearly, we're dealing with um, entities who don't fear our military might. Following its disappearance in that direction after sundown, some crew members saw three flashes of light from the sky where it had vanished. Back in Seattle, 14 of them signed a written statement affirming the accuracy of their observations. Among the eyewitnesses, Robert Crawford went on to become a consulting geologist with the uh, Indiana Soil Testing Laboratory in Griffin, Indiana. And while a graduate student at the University of North Dakota, he shared his wartime sighting with his teacher, geology professor N.N. Kalinowski, who uh, was then a science advisor to the National Investigation Committee on Aerial Phenomena, NICAP, organization for studying unit unidentified flying and submersible objects from the 50s into the 80s. Maybe the most disturbing account of its kind was related five years after the war by Edward Ludwig. During the last week of June 1944, he's executive officer of a small Coast Guard uh, manned cargo vessel approaching the tiny island of Palmyra, about 800 miles southeast of Hawaii. He got a radio message appealing for his assistance in search for a Navy patrol plane believed lost at sea. And despite prolonged and extensive scouting of the area by Ludwig's ship and company with dozens of other rescue vessels and aircraft, we didn't find anything. Not a scrap of floating debris or a spot of oil to indicate where the plane had crashed. Now this was highly unusual because aircraft downed at sea invariably scattered the surface with abundant wreckage, certainly an oil slick. Twenty-four hours later, Ludwig was on watch on the bridge when a bright light suddenly appeared in the midnight sky. He reported that uh, he soon saw the object in the sky was neither plane nor star. Definitely round, a spear hovering above me, motionless and silent. At least five times as bright as the most brilliant star. Then it began to move with an almost imperceptible slowness, and then it stopped. Half an hour, the light continued its slow, purposeful maneuvers, and it covered an area of about 90 degrees. At last, it headed northwest, away, northward away from the island and in the direction where the plane had been lost. It made official inquiries about the lighted spears, wondering to himself if the two incidents, the spear and the lost plane, might be related. Navy lieutenant in charge told him absolutely no aircraft had been aloft that night and that no Japanese could possibly be within a thousand miles. So he was extremely puzzled by the problem of the missing plane. His radio direction finder, he believed, had somehow malfunctioned, resulting in a reversal of directions. But this theory, of course, didn't explain why two experienced pilots familiar with the area would fly directly into the setting sun away from the island instead of the in the opposite and correct direction. He said he'd never forget the lieutenant's last words. Maybe the inhabitants of the strange spirit wanted specimens. Certainly that is a definite possibility. Well, it was Werner von Braun, the uh, former Nazi who became head of NASA, who made the comment, with a hundred billion stars in our galaxy alone, what would make us think we're the only life form? And certainly that... Um, that is something we have to consider. You know, Werner von Braun's question was answered definitely, uh, more definitively, on uh, February uh, 3rd, 1942, when Aviatrix uh, Hannah Wright's uh, 
Germany's famous female test pilot took off in the world's first operational rocket-powered fighter plane. Well, the still experimental Messerschmitt 163A, the comp was climbing at 525 feet per second, seven and a half miles above the Earth, almost straight up. And several luminous spears shot past her as though the comet was standing still. Went to 60,000 feet, 2,600 feet higher than the, the Messerschmitt's maximum ceiling. The object, which had no insignia, vanished almost as quickly as it appeared. Maybe somebody on board that uh, mystery intruder wanted to show the mankind's latest aircraft was hot by comparison. Had U.S. flight crews witnessed Wright's close encounter, they would have undoubtedly recognized what she saw as a typical Foo Fighter. Assuming that such uh, nimble enigmas were Nazi secret weapons of some unknown type, the Americans were surprised to learn after the war that the German flyers had no less frequently witnessed the same phenomena. Was they attributed to American secret weapons? According to Henry Stevens, author of Hitler's Flying Saucers, rumors of these objects circulated in Luftwaffe's pilot circles since the summer of 44, same year they were first glimpsed in significant numbers by Allied airmen. When their aircraft and several RAF bombers had been buzzed by Foo Fighters, and after dark, January 1, 1945, pilot Lieutenant Jack Green and his navigator, Lieutenant Warren Barber, were told by an ex-intelligence officer the German pilots that were up that night reported identically the same thing as the British and us. They ne- the Luftwaffe flyers never figure out what it was. And on that note, we come to the end of tonight's show. We'll be back on Monday. And once again, we'll be talking about the real War of the Worlds. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! Auto Parts.